All right, so there's two sections of passage that I want you to bookmark today. The first one is what we're going to go over, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And then um, if you would go to the Old Testament and just bookmark Ezekiel chapter 37. The reason why I want to do that now is just to save some time at the very end. We're not going to touch on that passage until the very end, but um, I do want it bookmarked so that you can go straight to it when we need to. That's Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, and uh, that'll be sufficient for now. But uh, for us this morning, we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 for you this morning. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were nature, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. Amen. All right, so this chapter here that we're beginning in Ephesians is probably the, the most important chapter, in, in my opinion, my humble opinion, it's the most important chapter that Paul has written in any of his epistles. It is extremely important, especially when we talk about uh, salvation and, and, and how it happens for us, right? So uh, we understand that, as Christians, we understand that it is God who saves us. That's why Jesus Christ is called our Savior. He's our Savior and our Lord. Um, there are some different views about how salvation happens, but when you are a careful student of the Bible, it all points to God. And Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 10, it points to God, and, and it says it is by uh, His goodness, it is by His work, and it is by His grace that we are saved. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, first of all, before we jump into chapter 2, I had told you last week that Pastor Laramie's uh, sermon two weeks ago was important to understanding our passage today, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And so we need to back up just a little bit to understand the whole context of what Paul is saying here, because if you notice at the beginning of chapter 2, what does it start with? It starts with the and, right? So that's connected to something he's already said. And so in order for us to get the context of our verses today, we need to back up to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And it is there that Paul begins to explain to the church in Ephesus that, um, that he is praying for them, and he tells them exactly what he is praying for. He says in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revela- revelation. Right, so, and the purpose behind that, he says, 
is so that they can know him. He says, the father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That is his prayer for the church there. Now, Paul's hope for the church is that out of their knowledge, out of their wisdom and revelation, and out of knowing God, that their eyes, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. And then he goes on in verses 18 and 19. He lists three things that he's praying for, that he hopes happens to them as they come to know God. Number one, that they realize the hope that he has called them to. Then he continues, verse 18 again. He also prays that they realize the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then what we uh, talked about last week is the immeasurable, that he, realized, he hopes that they realize the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those who believe. And that's in verse 19. Now, these themes here, they're going to be reinforced in verses 1 through 10 today. So when we get there, I will point them out to you and see, help you to make the connection and see how important it is to understand how we are saved, what the Bible says, how we are saved, and the great gift it is from God. So let's go back to our chapter and look at verses 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at, now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Now let's understand this, these first three verses in context of, what, of who, who is writing who. Paul loved this church. They had a special bond. In the book of Acts, you can see how much he loved this church, how he longed to go and visit them. And here he is writing to them, and look at the language there. And how he starts this chapter. He starts off by telling them that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. That's how he starts off. In today's society, when you preach the gospel to the world, the world says it is offensive. In fact, the world tries to push the gospel out of the church, saying you shouldn't divide. But we know that the gospel, it, it, it divides perfectly it divides correctly and it unifies God's people right but when you look at this language to the world it may be offensive but this is Paul writing to people he loved and he wanted them to know the truth he wanted them to know the truth so when you come to church and you hear the gospel and you hear how the gospel starts that you are a sinner and that you were dead in your sins that is language that you should love Right? Because that's the starting point. I always tell my kids, it doesn't matter where you start, it's where you end up. So that's the starting point. That's how we have started. We are dead in our sins. But the story's not over. Right? The story's not over because Christ came to save us. And that's exactly what Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, that, that's the picture it paints. But it starts with us in our sinful nature. We are all dead in the trespasses and sins. When you look at those two words, trespass and sins, Paul's just reiterating how bad we are. Trespass, it, it, it meant like a misstep after following somebody very closely. 
you know, you're trying to keep up with them. You kind of take a wrong step. You twist your ankle and, and you can't keep up with anymore. You can't keep up with them anymore. You lose several steps. Or it's going past a limit. When you trespass on somebody's property, there is a boundary that you cross. And once you cross that boundary, you've, cre- you've created an offense. So Paul is saying that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in what you once lived. Sin is to miss the mark. God has placed a mark, and when we do not hit that mark, we sin against him. But I love the language, and I love what he says to the people whom he loved. He says, when you were dead in your sins, this is what you look like. This is what you did. Look at your Bible, verse 2. When you were dead in your sins, you follow the course of this world. That's what he tells them. So in order for us to understand that today, what it meant was that their convictions were guided by society rather than the word of God. If we were to look at what Paul is saying and relate that to us today, someone who who lets society guide their convictions and does not care about the word of God, that is someone who followed the course of this world. Whatever society says is good and you just go ahead and do that as long as you're going along with the herd. But you're not worrying about God's word and what God's word says and and you're not worried about going against the grain. That's what it means to follow the course of the world. He continues on. He says, when you were dead in your sins, you followed the prince of the power of the air. In other words, they were slaves to the enemy. And they followed him. They did his bidding. And there are people around today who are slaves of the enemy. They actually won't come to church. They won't put themselves under any authority because they think in their minds they're their own person and they're free. They're free from any kind of rule. And we understand you're either ruled by God or you're ruled by the enemy. One or the other. You're either a child of grace or you're a child of wrath. One or the other. But there are people today who think that. And they actually think they're following their own desires. They're doing their own thing. They're being their own person. But really they are following the prince of the power of the air. He says also in verse 2 that when they were dead in their sins, they were guided by the spirit of disobedience. The Bible tells us as Christians that we are to walk in the spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. When we walk in the spirit, we please God. Well, Paul says, when we were dead in our sins, we were guided by the spirit of disobedience. That's the exact opposite of walking in the spirit. That just means, and it continues to emphasize that they thought and they acted like their father, the devil. And he continues on, verse 3. When you were dead in your sins, you lived in the passions of your flesh. Now, there's not much I have to explain here. I think we all know what that means. Because we still fight against that right now. We don't live in those desires, but we fight against those desires. But when we were dead in our sins, when we were not believers, 
you better believe that we satisfied our carnal desires instead of walking by the Spirit. He continues, when you were dead in your sin, you, in verse 3, you carried out the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, they did whatever they wanted. There was nothing to hold them back. There was, there was nothing for them to look to. There was no law that they went by. There was no conviction in their heart that they've sinned against God. So they just did what they wanted to do. Whatever they felt like it, whatever they wanted. Paul is saying, that's what you did when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, that's a picture of us, too. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we did not consider the word of God. We did what we wanted to do. But let me remind us all where we ended up by doing that. Right? We think that when we do something like that, when we live that way, that it's the best thing that we can do. And we come to find out that it's the worst thing that we can do. God's word is there to guide us, to rule over us, to protect us. And when we live by our flesh and we live according to what is right in our own eyes, we truly mess up our lives. But God is gracious. So he says, when, you were, when they were dead in the trespasses and sins and their sins, He says they were by nature, verse 3 again, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, they were just like any other non-believer. As I said before, we're either children of grace or we're children of wrath. And Paul is telling this church that he loves, this is who they were when they were dead in their trespasses and sins. So what is this describing? Well, Paul is describing to the church the need they have for salvation. And he's talking about all of humanity. This is how we start. We start, we start with death, spiritual death, because of our sins. And because we start this way, this is who we are. Verses 2 and 3 describes who we are before we meet Christ. But this is everyone's need, and this is why everybody needs Christ. Everybody needs to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or if they don't, then they are dead in their sins. And the fact that they were dead in their sins tells us the conditions of their hearts and of their faith. Dead is dead. And I think that's where a lot of people don't understand. When Paul is saying you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he means you were spiritually dead. You were incapable of being able to respond or react or anything to what God had called you to do or what God wanted you to do. See, they were in need of a resurrection. Spiritually speaking, they needed to be born again. That's why Jesus says in John 3, 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the only problem is, is that they couldn't be born again on their own. And neither can we. And that's why this chapter, this verse is so important in order for us to understand how it is that we have come to salvation. And the gift it is from God. 
Because this, verses 1 through 3, this is the problem. But notice, there's no solution at this point. It's just matter of fact, this is who you were. But no solution. But if we continue on, yeah, we do see a solution. Verses 4 through 7, let's read those real quick. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So Paul first gives you the problem and then he tells you how God fixed that problem. And how, how he did it and obviously he did it alone. Verses 4 to 7 are very important in understanding how you were saved. And this is where the themes of, of Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 19 are visible here. And I'm going to point them out to you as we continue to read through these passages. Notice how he starts off in verse 4. But God. Problem statement. But God fixed the problem. Okay. So he starts off in, in verse 4. He says, but God. And then he says this. Being rich in mercy. Well, if you're looking for key words between the two passages, well, rich was used in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go back and look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. This is Paul's prayer that they come to the wisdom and, and revelation of God and they come to know him. And then one of his prayers is, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what it is, the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That connects the dots to Paul's prayer, his hope for the church and how God has saved him. So not only is he praying that that they come to know how they are saved, but Paul is explaining it here. That it is, they are saved because of God and because he is rich in mercy. Then he continues on. But God, because of the great love with which he loved us. You connect the dots. Let's go back to Ephesians 1 verse 18. Where he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope which he has called you. That goes back to this great love with which he has loved us. That is the hope that we have because we ourselves, we are sinful people. As Paul said in verses 1 through 3, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We have no hope outside of Christ. The only hope we have is that he loved us with such a great love that he saved us, that he was determined to save us. He continues on, but God, even when you were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Well, let's look at Ephesians 1 verse 19. This is the other part of the prayer that Paul prayed for this church, that they come to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who 
believe according to the working of his great might. You see, we can connect the dots there because we were dead in our trespasses and sins, which means we were unable to help ourselves. The only way we are saved is by God's immeasurable great power. Right? It's by his immeasurable great power. So he says, even when you were dead in your trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. So there were three buts that I gave you, but God, but God, but God. And let me finish off with a couple of and gods. And God will also raise us up with him and will seat us with him in the heavenly places. That also points back to Ephesians 1 verse 19 to his power. See, we're not able to get to heaven on our own. We're not able to get there. It's only by God's power that we actually get there. And so Paul is writing out, he's saying, this is the means of your salvation. You were a sinner. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God was rich in mercy. But because of the great love which which he loved us. But God, even when you were dead in your trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And God will also raise us up with him and he himself will seat us with him in the heavenly places. And then he continues on in verse seven. And God in the coming ages will show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. You go back and you connect that with all three, the riches that we have in him, the hope that we have in him and the power that we have in him. As I told you, these themes connect each other and they describe to us how it is that we are saved. Notice that our names aren't here. Notice that our work isn't talked about by Paul. The only thing that has been mentioned about us is that we were dead. From a spiritual standpoint, we were dead. And then he talks about everything that God has done to make us alive. You see, God does all of this according to the working of his great might that we saw and that was displayed in Jesus Christ. This is extremely important for us to understand Because there are many times we, when we make our religion, our theology, we make it man-centered and we think that it, it revolves around us. And what we have to understand, we all have that temptation. We do it from time to time. Even when we, something happens to us in life, one of our first reactions to it is, this isn't fair. That's self-centered. We have to admit that. And we have to remember that this life is not about us. It's about the one who created us. About the one who saved us. The one who is living for us. The one who will take us to be with him. That's who it is about. And what we must realize is that we owe everything to him. Not only the blessings that we have here and now. But we owe our our spiritual life to him. We owe our salvation to him. 
He is our all in all. And that's what Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7 tell us. They describe to us how important Christ is to us. In him we live, we move, and we have our being. And then Paul goes on to explain to the church in verses 8 and 9. Yes, it was God who did it. He did it all. And he says, I'm going I'm to explain to you how he did it. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Now, I know most Christians have those verses memorized, but I don't know about you, but to me, whenever you connect the dots, it makes it, makes it more powerful, doesn't it? Knowing that, it was, that it's God who completely does everything for us so then therefore now we get what Paul is saying yes it is by grace through faith that we have been saved but it is truly a gift from God because we ourselves were dead and he came along and he gave us this gift of salvation and he is the one who works salvation in us the only part that we had to play in it is that we were dead in our sins So after explaining to the church that it was God who completely saved them, he desired them to know how they are saved. And he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So in other words, you you receive something you did not deserve. It was by grace. God didn't have to do it. Um, You did not convince God because of your personality or your looks or your wit, or anything else. He simply did what he did. He did it for his glory and your good. So, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now notice it doesn't say, for by grace you have been saved through everything that you do for the church. Right? It doesn't say that. For by grace you have been saved through how you treat other people. In other words, you can't add works to that or it would not be a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith in the one who did all the work that needed to be done. That is Jesus Christ. And he says, this is not your own doing. What you have received from God is truly a gift, not a result of works. Why? So that you don't get the glory. So that you don't get the the, the glory for anything, but that God gets the glory. That's the whole purpose of it. Have you ever done something and you just can't wait to show people? And you don't really want to show people just because what you've done is great. You want people to tell you how great you are in doing what you did. Right? Hey, let's be honest. You, You want some of that. You want people to tell you, like if you make a table, you want someone to tell you, you're such a great carpenter. The table is wonderful, but you're such a great carpenter. Whatever it is, you want part of that. That's the reason why you want to show. But when it comes to salvation, we get no glory. We can't say, look what I've done, God. We can't say, Lord, you know how long I served you. You know how faithful I've been towards you. Can't say any of that. 
Because he is the only one who has been faithful. He is the only one who has done the work. That's why when we come to him, it's not about us, but it's just about him. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for the mercy that you have bestowed upon me. I have no idea why you have called me to to be your child. I have no idea why you have called me to do what I do. I'm not worthy of it, but I will surely try my best. That's the attitude that we must have when we come to Christ. And that's what stirs in our hearts once we realize that it was God who did everything for us. So God has saved us according to his great might. Therefore, our salvation, yeah, it truly is a gift. It truly is. When you, uh, when you get, you know, as a child during Christmas time, you actually get gifts that people give you. And I, I don't know how it is in your house, but in our house, you know, Alicia and I will buy our gifts. We'll basically pick them out and buy them. Right. And then we wrap them up. We go through the whole motion. We'll wrap them up and everything. And Christmas time comes. Christmas morning comes. We open up the gift knowing what it is already. And then you're just like, yeah, awesome. Yeah. And the kids are like, what did you get? What did you get? You know, and sometimes we treat salvation that way. We're like, yeah, it is a gift, but I, I, I had some part to play in it. I kind of work for this. Oh, you didn't. Paul says. It is God. It is God who did everything. You were dead. Now he has made you alive. But look at verse 10. So important. Verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. First of all, you're, you're probably going to recognize that verse when you receive a birthday card or anniversary from me, that's what's usually uh, printed on there, Ephesians 2.10. I do that just as a reminder to remind you whose you are, what it is that you have been called to. I send it to you just because I remind myself every time I write it. I have to. I have to because sometimes I forget. Sometimes I try to suppress who I am and who I ought to be and whose it is or who I'm supposed to be worshiping. But when we see verse 10 and we understand verses 1 through 9, we understand what verse 10 is saying. See, as a result of God's great work in us, in salvation and his continual great work to reform us into the image of his son, we realize we are his workmanship. Now, it's not just talking about the creation of our physical bodies, because we can recognize that. We know that. We know that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. But Paul is going much deeper than that. He's not just saying you are his workmanship and how you were created physically But if we take it in context, what Paul is really talking about here is that we are his workmanship spiritually. That's why Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? Because we could have been so much worse. We could have done so many other things. 
and, and, and even how much damage we've done in our life, even after, become, after we became a Christian. God has been faithful to us, and because of him, we are who we are. And that's exactly what verse 10 is pointing out. We are his workmanship, spiritually speaking, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there's our purpose. There's our purpose right there. If you ever wonder what your purpose is in life, bam. Verse 10. That's such a big question, isn't it? As you're growing up. You know, that, that question, it, it, it tormented me. Just my personality. I, I did so many things to try to find my purpose. I really did. Always liked helping people. I wanted to be involved with something that helped people. And I, I went around and just tried to find it. I never could. Then I realized my purpose, my purpose is the Lord. To live in worship of him. There is no greater purpose that we have. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God in his power, in his wisdom, has already prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, that's the purpose of your salvation. The purpose of your salvation is that you bring praise and honor to God through your lives. That you are set aside for him as his church. And that you live for him every single day. That's the purpose of your salvation. It wasn't this wonderful gift that God has given to us. It wasn't just given to us, just, just for us to have. It had a purpose. And God is working out that purpose in your life today. I wanted to end this sermon with an illustration. If you turn back with me to Ezekiel 37. To me, it's helpful to uh, have an image of this. And when we turn back to Ezekiel chapter 37, this gives us an image of, of, of how we are saved. Now, to put Ezekiel 37 in context, this is a prophecy to the nation of Israel. And we know that the nation of Israel was always in and out of God's approval, so to speak. They obeyed him, disobeyed him, obeyed him, disobeyed him. And that's, you know, throughout the whole Old Testament, that's how we come to know that we need a savior. Every great man in the Old Testament sinned, therefore pointed to the need for a, a true savior. So this is a prophecy to the nation of Israel and how the Lord himself was going to restore them. I want to be true to the text, all right, because this is not a, a, a pointing uh, to Christ, so to speak, in an explicit way. But in this restoration of Israel, in the country of Israel, the nation of Israel, in this restoration, God shows us, it, it, gives, us a, or it gives us a metaphoric example of, of how, or how, what the work he does in our salvation, if that makes any sense. Gives us an example of what he does in us to save us. And it's a, it's a beautiful illustration 
gives you wonderful, a wonderful image of God's work and what he does when he saves an unbeliever. Now look at Ezekiel 37, and I'm going to read verse, verses 1 through 10. And this is what he's telling Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. All right, so that's, this is the vision that Ezekiel was having. And it was full of bones. Now you think, think about that, the imagery here. Ezekiel is put in the middle of the valley, and as far as he can see are just dead, dry bones. And as we, as we picture that, we can imagine ourselves as being part of those bones. <clears throat> because Paul says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's the connection between Ezekiel 37 and what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 2. So Ezekiel gets set down in this valley. It's full of bones. And look at verse 2. He led me around among them, and behold, they were, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So what Ezekiel is saying here is that there was, there was, there was more than I can count. There's just dry bones everywhere. And basically, they were very dead bones. They were very dry. They'd been there a long time. It wasn't like they just had died. They had flesh on them or anything. They had nothing. They were dead, dead, dead. Verse 3. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now let's think about the connection there. The New Testament says that we are saved by the preaching of God's word. For in the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The, the prophecy that he was speaking and also the word that is given to us. It is both the word of God. And we know that when we hear the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, we come to believe. Right. So you can see the connection of the prophesying that Ezekiel is told to do over these dry bones and the wonderful gospel that is preached to us that brings life to our dead bodies. Verse 5, thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, let's continue to look. Verse 7. Ezekiel says, so I prophesied. In other words, I, I preached. I preached and I told those bones what God told me to say to them. And I was, as I was commanded, and I prophesied. And then there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together. Bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews of 
of them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to, (sighs) sorry, I lost my place, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Verse 10, so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. When we look at the spiritual side of things, this is a wonderful and beautiful example of what God does in us. We were those super dry, dead bones. And God caused us to live. Not only that, but just like here in this, um, in this vision, as the bones rose, they were an exceedingly great army. God has caused us to come to life. He has put us together. And yes, we are this wonderful army. We are the church. And we each have a purpose and we each have a place within the church. And we'll talk about that purpose and that place next week as we continue to walk through Ephesians chapter 2.